Beards for Radio. Thank you, everybody, for joining the Beards for Radio podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Sasha. And we got a basketball-heavy show today, and we're going to tip it off with finally some good news in Motown. The Detroit (laughs) Pistons won the NBA draft lottery. They will be selecting number one, Sasha, and I think there's a pretty clear-cut choice that everybody has in mind but it's just it's refreshing to see the number one pick not go to like the Cavs or someone like that it's finally finally it's going to be the Pistons yeah you talk, talk about refreshing it absolutely is man and I think um I think Jalen Rose's reaction uh said, said it all I think he uh I think we all felt like Jalen Rose when we saw that number one pick because you know, it's been a long time coming. I think we have uh, a young squad. I like the squad that we have. There's a lot to build on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the fact that, uh, you know, we now we can add to it with the number one pick. But my number one pick might be a little different from everyone else's number one pick, to be honest with you. Oh, okay. Well, it seems like the 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 popular choice among the public is Cade Cunningham. So I'm interested to hear who you would pick with the number one take. All right, I saw a um, a trade between us and the Rockets for the Rockets to get a number one pick. In exchange, we get the second pick, the 23rd pick, the 24th pick, and uh, Kevin Porter Jr. Okay. okay, and if and if that is a way to go, I would do that because me personally, I'm leaning more towards Jalen green. I like the fact that Jalen green, you know, skipped college. I think everyone doesn't really know about him because you know, he played the, in the G league. He played in the G league. It's, it's not as prevalent, but I think Jalen green has, you know, I, I think it's, I feel like it's different when these guys go in and are playing against NBA caliber talent. Rather than college talent, no, don't get me wrong. You know what I'm saying? I think college talent's great. I think Cade Cunningham's awesome. You yeah. know, but, but when Jalen Green's already going into an NBA structured uh, structure, I guess you say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I think that's a plus for him, to be honest with you. And I think um I think I would rather have uh, Jalen Green. You know, he's. You know, he's not as tall as Cade Cunningham. He's not as big. But I think um, with who we have on the roster, it doesn't really make us that that big of a team, to be honest with you, because our big men would be, at that point, Jaleel Okaford, you know, Mason Plumley. You know, yeah. so, like, you really don't have a lot of big dudes. Um, Isaiah Stewart's one of our, you know, forward centers, but we don't have, like, a center center, which I think the NBA isn't really – uh, Built yeah. like that nowadays, you can kind of get away with it. And plus, we have Grant. You know, what I'm saying we have you know bigger dudes that can kind of do what they they can do. Hopefully, Seku Demboya turns out to be who we all want him to be. But I think if you throw Jalen Green in that mix, man, I think we'd have a good squad. And then you add in Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah, I think we have a good squad. I'm kind of at. If you're gonna be picking number one, you got to take Cunningham. Uh, I just think you're really taking a big risk if you go with somebody else at the number one spot. If you trade out of it and you get a big haul, like what you're saying, you know, three picks, including the number two pick and a a, a veteran like Porter Jr., then it is a little bit different. What I, why, what I think sets Cade Cunningham apart from the pack is it's his size, his athleticism and IQ – and I, th- I think he is a ready-made two-way player. I don't think he's just like an offensive stud. I think right. he's ready to go offense and defense. Plus, the Pistons do have a tall point guard in Killian Hayes, who they drafted last year. The jury's still out on him because he missed a lot of time in his rookie season. But I think he's got a lot of upside. He's just not a shooter. There's a lot of potential to have two tall guards in your backcourt like that with Hayes and Cunningham. You know, Cunningham's kind of the scorer. Hayes is the guy who can set you up. And then you also got, like you said, Stewart, who's big. Grant, who's a big. Dumbuya, you know, we'll see how he pans out. Um, What's his face? Okafor from Duke, who I'm still mad at for going to Duke. And then, you know, we haven't even brought up uh, Sadiq Bey, who may have been the Pistons' best player last year, aside from Grant, who was a first-team all-rookie this year. So I I do have – faith in weaver that he'll 
make the right move, whether that's selecting Cunningham. I do think if, if you trade out of that pick, you really gotta you gotta get a haul. Cause if, if we go back to the NFL draft, which I wasn't really planning on discussing, but like the Dolphins had the number three pick because they had made a trade with Houston a few years back and Houston ended up just blowing last year and their pick ended up being number three, which went to Miami. I was ecstatic about the thought of getting Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase at number three. A couple weeks before the draft, the Dolphins trade back with San Fran to get a haul of picks for the future, and then they traded back up to number six. They ended up getting Jalen Waddell, who I like. Don't get me wrong. I think Jalen Waddell could be solid, and he has that, that chemistry with Tua. But you missed out on a, an opportunity to draft a generational-type talent with Pitts or Jamar Chase. And I, I don't want to miss out on that with Cunningham. And I don't know too much about Jalen Green. Maybe he could be that. Maybe he has a higher ceiling than Cunningham. But my perspective is that where the Pistons are at, they need a cornerstone and they need kind of like what Allen Iverson was to the Sixers or what Isaiah Thomas was back in the old days for the Pistons. You need that, that great hope and that cornerstone to build around. And I, I do think it's Kay Cunningham for – like I said, his size, his IQ, athleticism, ability to score in a multitude of ways, and then the fact that he he's not a he's no scrum on defense. He's he's right. a bona fide and, player. Right. And he's a good rebounder for being a guard. But you know, if you you know, you look at Pistons roster, we have a lot of guards, you know, that are, you know, pretty decent guards. You got yeah, uh, Hamadou Diallo, Wayne Ellington can shoot it up for us, Corey Joseph. Um, don't forget about Dennis Smith Jr. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully he can come around and be who he was in Dallas, you know, a few years ago. I would like like to see that. Yeah. You know, like you said, Killian Hayes. Don't forget about Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson kind of kind of the, the same stature as um Cade Cunningham. They're both like six, seven, six, eight, yeah. right around there. Um, but yeah, I think I think anyway you go, but like Kevin Porter Jr. just this sweetens the deal for me. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I I like him a lot. You know what I'm saying? This sweetens the deal for me. But the, like you said, you know, we really don't know. You know, yeah. you don't know. It it would really have to pan out if if they didn't go with Cunningham. Because I think once everybody, all the Pistons fans, saw the number one pick, everybody was on board with Cunningham. You know, so it's kind of like if that doesn't pan out, I don't think anybody's going to be upset about it. But if you end up trading back or selecting somebody else and it doesn't pan out and you do see Cunningham become this star, then it's just another one in the line of, you know, passing on D Wade or Chris Bosch or passing on uh, Donovan Mitchell or passing on Devin Booker, you know, right. There's just been too much of it. So I I, I think I, I trust Troy Weaver with the ability to make whatever selection he wants. And I'm, I'm glad we have the number one pick and, I'm sold on Cunningham, but, you know, like I said, we have no idea what's what's going to work and what doesn't. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I like how you didn't mention Carmelo Anthony's picks of, uh, <laughs> you know, regrets because we got we got our man, the human victory cigar, Darko out of it. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. wouldn't trade out of hey. that knowing how we ended up winning championships yeah. with Darko, him on the Darko bench. was the first right. one in that class to win a championship, man. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody talks about that. Take it, man. It's a human victory cigar, bro. So, yeah. <laughs> well, no, yeah. So, you know, either which way they go, I'm good with it. But, yeah, having that that lengthy two-way guard who, like you said, uh, you know, can go in and get rebounds, who can score on Will. He's a good shooter. He has a good stroke. And he can go back and play defense. Yeah, it'd be a no-brainer. But I just wanted to throw something else in the mix, seeing that I saw that trade. I was just like, hmm, that's interesting. You know what I'm For saying? Sure. Yeah. And they're so. – they're both 19, so you both you've got a good amount of upside with them. Green, he's listed at 6'5, 180, and then uh Cunningham 6'8, 220. So he's definitely got the size. He definitely has a size. So yeah. yeah. And I just wanted to throw something else in the mix, but um For sure. It, yeah, man. I, I would I would like I would like to see us grab coming Cunningham, don't get me wrong, but you know that that deal with getting the second, 23rd, 24th, and Kevin Port. I mean, geez, you know, we can there's so much you can do, you know. So. Right. Right. And, and I'm, not, I'm not sold that the Pistons won't trade back into the first, even if they do take Cunningham number one overall. Because I think they got like two or three second round picks, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, we saw last year that Weaver, he's not afraid to wheel and deal on draft night. You know, I, th- I think the Pistons, 
only had like one draft pick last year and they ended up somehow trading back into the first twice to get not only Sadiq Bay, but then trading back in to get, or sorry, they traded, they drafted Killian Hayes. My bad. I'm stumbling here. Uh, drafted Killian Hayes, traded back into the first to get Sadiq Bay, and then again traded back into the first to get Isaiah Stewart. And they hit on two of those three picks, and the other one, Sadiq Bay, you know, still to be determined. I think he's got a lot of upside and could pan out. So, yeah. you know, yeah. we could see them take Cade number one on draft night and then still see some drama where they trade back up into like the 26th spot or something like that for somebody. Hey, you know, you're right. It could be, you know, seeing that uh, a few years ago, we didn't have any draft picks yeah. due to uh, due to uh, Ron Jeremy. I mean, uh, you know, Van Gundy. But yeah, no, I no, I, get, I get what you're saying. It's 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 nice to have a little bit of, you know, wiggle room to do what he wants to do. See yeah. what he did last year with essentially not nothing really, you know, so it's going to be interesting. It definitely yeah. is going to be interesting. And we'll see, you know, there's not really much they can do free agency wise this offseason because they still got some dead money tied to Blake and D Rose and I think Drummond still. But you talk about next offseason where hypothet we'll we'll have had a season, another season of Hayes and Bay and Grant and Stewart and those other guys you mentioned, Dennis Smith, Josh Jackson, uh Jaleel Okafor, and then whatever whoever we take with our first round pick this year. We'll have a year of that, another draft pick next season. And I think then we'll have some money on the books to really start to mess around, see, see what we can build towards. And you're going to have uh, like a five, six year window where you're not paying Cunningham or green or whoever that much money. They're still going to be on the rookie contract. So that's, that's where I see the potential is, is somewhere three, four years down the road. But yeah, it's just super exciting. Uh, I think everybody was watching the the selection show or the uh, the lottery announcing, you know, and just kind of there there was as as good a chance the Pistons were going to be picking at like sixth or fifth, and just to see like each pick be a different team all the way to number one, it was it was something special. It was great. It was good, and to see Ben Wallace there, one of the Pistons yeah. greats, man, it was that just sweeten sweeten the pot. He looked like the the Detroit basketball godfather. Just like right, he with did. his suit, his, his gray they, they, beard, his salt and pepper right. look, and just like holding up the number one finger. If they had, if they had the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the Godfather music playing in the background, like, then, 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 that would have been just you need like a lot better. A cigar <laughs> in his mouth, you know, when they pan back to him. But you know, right. we're we're just trying to get where the Phoenix Suns and Milwaukee Bucks are currently. And that is the NBA Finals. Sasha, we are two games in with the Suns leading the Bucks to zip. We're recording this on Sunday, so the third game in Milwaukee will be tonight. Yes. Uh, what, is, what has been your takeaway, A, from the playoffs, and then B, from the first two games of the Finals? Because I was pretty surprised to see Milwaukee get past Brooklyn uh, because when Kyrie was healthy, it, it, Brooklyn looked like far and away the better team, but Milwaukee – kind of toughed it out when when Kyrie went down. And then it's kind of been a similar story for Phoenix. Like, they've had a little bit of an advantage not having to face Jamal Murray with the Nuggets and then not having to face Kawhi Leonard. But still, both you got to face who's in front of you, and both teams are where they're at right. now. And you got to think, too, they didn't uh, – AD, you know, AD right. was down when they played the Lakers, too. Um, what I take away from this, for the Suns is you got to think, you know, uh, you know, backtrack three years ago, they had the worst record in the league. Yeah, last year they're they're a lottery team. This year they're in the finals. You know that just shows you, you know, that they needed a leadership of a Chris Paul. And um, I like what Chris Paul was saying. I think it was might have been after uh, uh, their their Eastern Conference champion when um, Cameron Payne kept on t- talking up. He kept said, said that Cameron Payne is talking to him about pace, 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 and. Uh, Chris Paul said, you know, I'm an old head, so I want to slow everything down. He's like, but no, these guys are right. They're young. They run. We need to run. We need to keep going. Just keep going. Keep going. I, I love that Chris Paul, being a veteran and a floor general, can realize that. It says, hey, we have a you know the potential here to just to run, to run, to run, you know, just knock the roof off of the arena. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I think that that's huge. And then 
I think with DeAndre Ayton stepping up like he is, being like that that prototypical old school big man that we saw growing up, you know what I'm saying? And Devin Booker just being friggin' Kobe Bryant esque, you know, yeah. you know, they're just kinda they're kinda hard to stop. But like you know, like in, in game one, I think um I think we also the big three showed up, but I also think we gotta look at Mikael Bridges. I think Mikael Bridges is just that X factor for them. You know what I'm saying? He's been shooting good inside and out. He's been playing really good defense. Um, oh. Crowder, you know, Crowder does his three and D type uh, type basketball. You know, they're kind of hard. They're very hard to stop. You know, that trade that they made for Mikael Bridges on draft night a few years back is quietly such a good move for them and such a bad move for the Sixers. You know, like and I, I credit Phoenix because they did make a lot of just small under the radar smart moves. You know, obviously, in hindsight, could they have taken Luca or Trey Young, number one, and, you know, paired paired them with. Devin Booker yeah they could have we don't know how that would have worked out and I I just think you know if if Bridges is there for Philly Philly is in a lot different place right now I don't know why they made that trade the Sixers like I was really scratching my head at that when it was announced I thought it was I thought Bridges was like a perfectly made fit for the Sixers especially being a a Villanova kid right Um, but you know like sucks for Philly and I, I think that's just an under the radar move. And I think it started last year with Phoenix in the bubble when they didn't get into the playoffs, but they were invited to the bubble and they went eight and zero. they had to have like a couple other things break their way. Like I think Memphis had to lose a couple games that Memphis did not lose, but you know, Phoenix went down to the bubble last year and did not lose, but they still didn't make the playoffs. And then, like you said, adding that leader like Chris Paul, and then also getting Jay Crowder, who's been to the finals multiple times. Like it's, it's just a lot of under the radar moves, and I, I really tip my hat to Chris Paul because I didn't like him. I've never really liked him that much, but I've, I've gained a lot of respect for him the last two seasons because, you know, Paul George made the move to the Clippers, and then Russ went to Houston in that trade for Chris Paul, uh, and OKC really was not expected to be much. I think like preseason last year they were favored to be picking top two, top three. And they were the fifth seed in the West or the fourth seed in the West. You know, right. a, a lot of that was Chris Paul and his leadership and him working with uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. And mm-hmm. like I said, last year, Phoenix, as you said, was a lottery team, didn't make the playoffs, but they go out, get Chris Paul, and they had the second best record in, in the whole conference behind only uh, Utah. So it's it's been it's been eye opening just uh, to see the legacy of Chris Paul kind of be redefined from, you know, choking multiple times with the Clippers back in the day with Blake and Deandre. So now he, he's really been the biggest difference maker for a few bottom dwelling franchises. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And I think I started like Chris Paul rooting for him ever since they denied his, um, um, <clears throat> trade Lakers to the uh, Lakers mood. Yeah, that was just bull crap because nowadays we just see dudes like just yeah, stacking see- up, stacking up. So, yeah. So that really bugged me. Um, on the Milwaukee end, you know, Giannis is doing his thing. You know, uh, what, what bugs me is that Middleton and Holiday aren't stepping up together. One will do good one game, one will do the other, other game, do good other game. Lopez will fill, fill in the gaps. But in order, for, in my opinion, in order for Milwaukee to take this, you know, further or, you know, edge this out, all three of those guys need to show up. Suns yeah. keep on doing what they're doing. They keep doing what they're doing. They're, they're good. You know what I'm saying? Aiton gets his double doubles, you know, Booker and uh, Booker and Paul play their game. Paul is a, is a floor general. Mikhail Bridges, you know, keeps hitting on the wing. Hit, hit his little, right. they just, you know, they his, get to their spots and right. more often than not, they make. Right. And Crowder, Crowder does his thing. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're fine the way they're playing. They're great. The way they're, Milwaukee's a team that needs to switch up. Milwaukee's yeah. a team where, where the, their three big need to step up because they don't really don't have anyone else to rely on. You know, Lopez, you know, Lopez does his thing. I love Brooks Lopez. I've always loved Brooks Lopez. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes mm-hmm. I think he wants to be that, that, that new stretch five, you know what I'm saying? And kind of lingers out more rather yeah, than, you know, kind of falls in love with, with, not being near the basket. Yes. And, you know, I think sometimes that's a detriment to his game. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're seven foot. There's, you know, DeAndre Ayton is doing what he's doing because 
you know, Paul George, he's listening to Paul George. They have a, uh, uh, you know, a, a profound floor general. You know, I yeah. don't think they really have that on Milwaukee. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Holiday is a good defender. You know, don't get me wrong. He's a good, he's a, he's a great player. I think he's underrated as heck, but I don't think he, he has that command like Paul George ha- or Paul George, Chris Paul has for the Suns. I know what you meant. Yeah. And the mere fact that Giannis is even playing is, is a minor miracle because just a week before game one, he had that Ooh. scary injury against Atlanta. So, you know, the fact that yes. he's playing alone is something, but then he put in 40 minutes in game two, scored 42 points and grabbed 12 rebounds, but nobody else on the Bucks had more than nobody else had 20. Like Drew Holiday was the next highest player and he had 17. 17. Right. And that's absolutely right. You just can't get 11 points from Chris Middleton in 41 minutes. Like that's not going to cut it in the regular season, let alone a road game in the NBA finals. Like that's just, that's straight up not good enough at all. No, you're right. And I think they're a total different team with Giannis not on the floor when Giannis Giannis on the floor. I love I love I love doing that. I don't know why I do that. But um, <laughs> he, he was the Giannis. only one with, with a positive plus minus too. Every like he was plus three when the Bucks were plus three when Giannis was on the court. Everybody else was like, I'm looking down the line, negative five, negative fifteen, right. negative seven. Like But when he wasn't on the floor those last two games. Like Milwaukee played like a, a well-oiled machine. I think sometimes Giannis are like give Giannis the ball and head of steam. You know the LeBron James head of steam. Yeah. I'm going to the, I'm going to the basket. You're gonna try to stop me, but really it's just like let him go to the basket. If you foul him, you know hopefully he doesn't get an and one because he's doubtfully gonna hit two of those free. If if Giannis was a good free throw shooters, they're winning these games. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. he's more he's more of a threat at the line. You know what I'm saying? But when he's shooting, you know, sub 50%, sub 60% from the free throw, you know, uh, I'll take those chances. I'll, 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 I'll use those stats. In, when you're in Phoenix and all those fans are start counting the second he touches the ball, like that's right. got to be a bit rattling. And I also it has think, to be. I also think an advantage Phoenix has is that Monty Williams has been out coaching Mike Budenhoser through two games so far. Right. Um, I think it was uh, Jeff Van Gundy who pointed out, or it might have been somebody else, but somebody on ESPN just showed like a clip of pregame Mike Budenhoser and then in-game Monty Williams. And just the way they were coaching, like Budenhoser was a lot more vague, a lot more just kind of like peppy pregame speech. Like, okay, guys, you know, we're playing basketball. This is what we're going to do. And then Williams was like very detailed to a T and – uplifting like Aiton had his head down for the whole X's and O's thing and then when it came time to kind of pump DeAndre Aiton up and be like all right this is what you got to do he was like all right look at me like it was time to focus up I, uh that was that was just a little clip I saw on on Twitter after the game but I, I think if if Milwaukee's gonna make a comeback which is it's very rare in the finals for teams to come back from two nothing down right uh it's got to start with coaching and then it's kind of even it's kind of like they got to start out coaching Monty Williams and Phoenix and then yeah Middleton and uh what's his face holiday really got to step it up you can't have you can't have them combined for 28 points like one of them's got to be putting in 28 points if that makes sense that does make sense absolutely um I think you're you know you know, can you hear me, Joe? Yeah, yeah, you hear me? Okay, yeah, I can hear you, yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> that that totally makes sense because I think Monty Williams, like you said, has been kind of eerily calm, you know what I'm saying? Because he has this, like, he has uh, a very, he has very high hopes in his team, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's very confident in his squad, um, and I think that's a good thing. Um, and Budenholzer seems like he's in panic mode if you kind of get what I'm saying, you know? So, sense. so I think, yeah, I think, um, like I said, I think Minnesota's big three need to show up. And I think, you know, in, in essence, Lopez needs to know when he needs to play inside and when he needs to, you know, pick and pop or, you know, just, you know, subtly drop to those corners to have those threes, you know, but I don't think he should just completely, I think, you know, when it comes to, I, I'm big on X factors I think Mikhail Bridges and Lopez are going to be the X factors for those squads. You know, you're going to have you're going to have your big three. 
You know what I'm saying? But Mikel Bridges plays like he's been playing. It's going to make it so much easier for the, you know, Suns big three and, and, and Crowder to get open, you know, when he needs to get to the spot. So yeah. I, I personally think that, that the Suns are going to edge it out, you know, um, will it be a four Oh run? It could be the, the way they're playing now. You know, if they keep playing the way they playing, I see, I see them winning it in four, but I see them, Suns you know, two, yeah, Suns and four. <laughs> but I also, but I also see, uh, Milwaukee squeezing two out at home, and that, and that can be possible. So I'm going to call it Suns and six. So, all right, yeah, I'd have to be in, in mostly agreement with you. I, I think Milwaukee wins tonight, game three at home, and then I just think Phoenix is too much for them in game four. And going back to the crib in in Arizona, I, I don't think I, I can't see Milwaukee winning a road game against them. That's that's where I'm at. And I know Milwaukee's been really good at home. In the playoffs, I think they only lost game one of the Eastern Finals to Atlanta, and they've won all the other ones. But it, it, I, I think what, what Phoenix does, it's it's above home court advantage. I just think they got too many advantages to overcome for Milwaukee. So I'd say Phoenix in five. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, no, we're right around the, uh, kind of the same thing that <laughs> Phoenix yeah, is going to win it. Yeah. I, I don't think it'll be a sweep, but. Right. But you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if it, it ends that way, the way that Phoenix have been playing. If if they're running True, out yeah. all you know, all cylinders like they have been, I could see them sweeping. But I, I really do think, you know, like you said, Milwaukee will edge out one if not two. So Yeah, there's almost an added pressure from Milwaukee coming home now. Like if those first eight to ten minutes if the basically the first quarter, if the first quarter doesn't go Milwaukee's way, say like Phoenix jumps out to an eight. 10, 12 point lead at the end of the first. That's that's real danger zone territory for Milwaukee on, on, in game three. And if obviously if they have any hope of winning the series overall, game three is a must win. I, th- I think that goes without saying. Right. And and if and if Milwaukee does win one, I hope they come back from halftime, down from halftime, so I can get my free Doritos Locos taco. You know? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. The spicy one. It's not just anyway. I know it's yeah. the spicy ones, right? Those they'll leave you on the toilet late night, but it's okay. It's free. <laughs> this episode of the Beards for Radio podcast is brought to you by Farbar Fashion. Visit far-ebar.com to check out a lineup of products such as shirts, hoodies, bags, lots of different accessory type products. Again, that website is far-ebar.com. Check it out. I told you this was going to be a basketball heavy episode. We got some more basketball news. Big 10 freshman of the year center Hunter Dickinson announced he will be back in Ann Arbor for his sophomore season. He said one last ride in his uh, Twitter, Instagram caption. I don't know if that means he's definitively saying this is going to be it, but either way, he's back. I I think that's very exciting because it's it's easy to have like one really good season and then not build on that. To be bringing back Eli Brooks and now Hunter Dickinson and then some some role players like Brandon Johns, I I think that's going to help build a solid, a more solid foundation for Jawan Howard and company. Yeah. Well, you know, most definitely, you know, I think Dickinson, he was uncertain over time with the whole NBA draft. And I think, you know, he kind of had on his uh, bucket list of things to do in his life was, uh, you know, obviously get drafted in the NBA. I think that's a, that's a no brainer. He will, but yeah. I think, you know, having know a college happen this year. Right. But, you know, I, I think, I think he's, uh, uh, a big man with with that kind of NBA talent big men have nowadays, I think it'd be a no-brainer for him to get drafted in the next, the next draft. But I think also I, I, what's admirable about the young man is that he wants to have a good college experience and he wants to win a college championship. And I think him going into NBA now – in a way it's kind of detrimental because he's not going to have, because right now he's, he's going to be the guy on yeah. Michigan. You yeah. know what I'm saying? He's going to be the most recognizable guy on campus aside from like Jim Harbaugh. Like you right. see him walking around campus. Everybody's going to instantly know a, because he's 
thousand feet tall, but B because it's going to be like center right. stage for the basketball team, who will probably be like ranked top five coming into the season. Like he's going to be a big man on campus, right? And sure. I think, and I think someone like Dickinson, if he goes and gets drafted in the NBA, he's not going to get playing time right away. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? He's not going to get thrown in the mix right away. He's probably they, they might even drop him down to G League. You never know. But right now, he has a NBA ex NBA player who was a dang good player. He was an awesome college player, and he's turned out to be a pretty dang good coach. You know what I'm saying? So he's going to have that one-on-one for an extra year with Jawan. I think it'll be, you know, it will behoove him more to stay under Howard's tutelage than to go to the NBA and possibly drop, possibly drop me in part of the practice squad or possibly drops to the G League. You know, he's going to (laughs) have – you know, more hands on on what to do as a big man, especially with Juwan Howard wasn't the biggest big man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he kind of had to be what most smaller big men are today. So he kind of has an advantage, you know, in, in that round. But like you said, they're bringing back by, um, you know, they got, you know, John's as the other big man, uh, Nunez and Wade, they're, uh, you know, are Shooters, there shooting- yeah. You know, you got Howard's young son is going to be running point as well behind Eli Brooks, but they have a plethora of freshmen. So it's going to be kind of like, well, who's going to step up and be the next guy? Because, like, right now, like, once John John's a graduate student, Brooks is a graduate student, Dickinson's gone next year, what then? Right. You know what right. I'm saying? It's, so it's kind of an opportunity to – they have the number one class coming in next season, but how often do you see – the number one class go on to win the championship when they're like the, when they're the ones relied upon, you know, like when RJ Barrett and Zion mega talented Duke team, but you know, you rely on inexperienced freshmen, right? You rarely win the championship. Like there are some exceptions like the, the kid Gilchrist, Anthony Davis, Kentucky team, or the, the Tyus Jones, Jaleel Okafor Duke team, but you don't see it happen all that often. So just because you have the number one recruiting class coming in and it's a damn good class for sure. Right. um, It's, it's going to help to have those people who have been in the system for at least a year. Eli Brooks, I I think Brooks coming back for year six or year five um, is possibly the, the best move that's happened for them. And then getting Dickinson back, who's got the talent, got the, he's got a year under his belt. I, I don't think he's too happy with how their run ended last year in March to the Bruins. I, I don't think he's happy with how he performed in that game. So, I, you know, you, you got to have an edge to you too. And then also uh, Devontae Jones, who they're getting from Coastal Carolina as, as a grad transfer. So there's going to be some options at that point. But, yeah, and then you, you start to look at next season even further because you will be losing likely Dickinson and then – uh, Eli Brooks and and Johns. So you're gonna have to be relying on these kids who are gonna be freshmen this year. So I, I think it, yeah. I think it's big for for setting up the culture. Right, and um, I I, have, I haven't looked too much into Michigan State to be honest with you. So I'm gonna probably let I'm probably just gonna sit here and be a you know uh, I don't know a backseat listener yeah. <laughs> in a way. So. So I, I, I'm really curious to see what State's going to do. I'm really curious to see what, uh, you know, how Izzo's going to approach. Because I don't think Izzo has too much longer in being a coach. I, I see him. I see him. I see him once he does retire to still be part of, you know, State's, you know, basketball program or at least the athletic program. Yeah. But, you know, I'm going I'm to I'm sit back and I'm going to listen to your take on your Spartans, brother. Well, first off, I, I love what Tom Izzo said, you know, because we saw Roy Williams – retire uh, back in April right at the end of the season. Uh, Coach K, my least favorite person in the world, announced that this will be his last season. Izzo said he's not going to do that whole uh, retirement farewell tour. Like he said, when he's done, he's just going to be done. He's not going to be like, this is one last dance. Like he's just going to be done. So I kind of like hearing that. So, yeah, for all intents and purposes, Michigan State's coming off their worst season in my life. You know, they barely – barely kept the streak alive they got into the the first four of the tournament looked like they were gonna handily beat ucla i think they're up by 12 at halftime led by double digits for a good portion of the second half and you know things just fell apart credit to ucla because 
that really springboarded UCLA to a Final Four run where they damn near knocked off Gonzaga. Uh, so, yeah, looking at Michigan State's roster, you lose your best player in Aaron Henry, who I, I think was ready to go to the NBA. I think he'd done all he needed to do in college. You lose a guy like Josh Langford, who, you know, struggled with the injuries. I remember a couple years ago, going into the year, we were at, we were, you and I were discussing who we thought was going to be Michigan State's best player. And it came down to either Cassius Winston or, or Josh Langford. And it, Winston ended up running away with it. But early on, it looked like Langford was going to be it. But, you know, they, they did lose a few pieces to the transfer portal. Uh, Rocket Watts, unfortunately, just didn't pan out. I, when he got to Michigan State, I just thought he had the brightest future. I thought he had the most potential out of any player I'd seen in a while, probably since, like, Gary Harris, Miles Bridges. But, you know, unfortunately for, for the way Rocket Watts plays and the way Izzo runs his system, those styles just unfortunately don't mesh. So Rocket, I believe, is at Mississippi State now. He's at a different MSU. Uh, and then you lose, you lose some of the undersized players like Lawyer and, and Kithier. Um, I love the recruiting class they got coming in. They got a dead-eyed shooter in Max Christie, who's the number one shooting guard. Got a, a big a big guard in Pierre Brooks, the second who won Mr. Basketball in the state of Michigan out of Detroit, but also uh, was like valed- valedictorian of his class and won like one of the highest academic honors you can win. So I love seeing that somebody who's good on the court, but also going to be a, a very smart, like classroom kid as well. And then uh, getting a, an athletic point guard in Jaden Akins, and they're bringing in a transfer from, Northeastern, which is kind of a risky move, uh, getting Tyson Walker. What excites me about Tyson Walker is that he's going to, he will likely be handed the keys to the point guard position this offseason. He was defensive player of the year in his league. And when his team played higher competition, like North Carolina, um, I believe they played like Virginia or Villanova as well. Like that's when he was at his best. That's when he like put up his best scoring numbers. And he wasn't surrounded by the greatest talent you know he, he was surrounded by you know the kind of talent that northeastern would bring in no disrespect to northeastern i i think bringing in a real point guard you know not no longer relying on rocket watts or foster lawyer to run the point guard bringing in him and akins it's it's hopefully gonna set up the shooters like gabe brown and joey hauser who struggled last year because their strengths aren't really creating their own shots their strengths are off the catch and shoot and when you, if, if you had a point guard like Cassius Winston, that's great for you. Like if Joey Hauser played with Cassius Winston a couple years ago, I think we'd be looking at Joey Hauser as an NBA type prospect. But when he was relied upon to create for himself because you just couldn't rely on Lawyer or Watts or a freshman AJ Hogard to get him the ball in prime position to shoot, it, it wasn't pretty. I was very frustrated with Hauser a lot last year. So. That's where I think it's going to be the biggest key is that you'll you'll just have a true point guard who's more more adept at setting other people up than just trying to score for himself, you know. Yeah, fair. Yeah, all great points, Joey. All great points, man. But um, yeah, like you said, they kind of remind me of you know like like uh, what's that one white dude that played uh, a few years back, number twenty for the for the uh, state. I can't think oh, of his name. Oh, Quato, Matt McQuaid. Yeah, you know, like he's the same way when like um he needed to make his, you know, he's a he's that catch and shoot, pick and yeah. pop sometimes. And like if, if those guys aren't doing that, you know, that's like like you said, it's 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 Izzo's it, it's Izzo's system. You know what I'm saying? Like right. you like you said, Watson and stick too much into it. So yeah, I could see these guys not being able to create their own shot. So it's gonna be. Hmm. It's gonna be something to watch this year, man. You know, I, yeah. I kind of, I kind of step back from watching um, uh, college ball this year, um, basically because of the because of the pandemic and uh, how friggin' uh, you know, it was just different. It, it was just yeah, it was a totally different feel. No it didn't feel crowds. like yeah. nothing. Yeah, it was just very, very weird. Um, surprisingly, I've been watching this NBA playoffs like mad because it's just, uh, it's it's refreshing not to have you know Golden State. And the Lakers, and you know, you know the the, the same four teams rotating and out. I'm I'm really liking this NBA Finals, but yeah. So um, I'm really I'm really kind of getting back into that mode of college basketball. So it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be interesting to see how you know those guys 
you know, jive with, you know, Izzo's, you know, structure. And, and you know, and we said this a few years back, Izzo's is, Izzo has changed the way he coached basically because, you know, these kids aren't, you know, yeah. aren't, aren't as, aren't built as strong as these uh, other, you know, teams were five, six, seven years ago, you know, Izzo kind of had to soften up a little bit, you know, so it's going to be very interesting how he, uh, you know, goes about this year's coaching. I think he's still as hard ass as he can be, you know, but I don't think he's an idiot. You know, he knows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He knows for sure. after, after that whole Aaron Henry situation a couple of years ago in the tournament that the media still talks about, even though Aaron, Aaron Henry's dad was telling Izzo to get into Aaron Henry like that. Like he, he knows he, he can't go through another, you know, just a onslaught of media attention. Like it's, it's just distracting for the team. It's not good. Right. And, and it, and it takes away from how Izzo's, you know, Izzo's strengths to be honest with you, because, you know, growing up, man, I love coaches like Izzo growing up. I love coaches like Bobby Knight, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Throw the chair across, because you're showing, you're showing your team passion. You know what I'm saying? It, you know, I, I I guess I guess it's just the era that we were grow, we grew up in. But I love those coaches that got in your face. I love yeah. those coaches that and smacked you in the side of your football helmet and told you like, stop being you know the p word. You know, <laughs> you know I, I that's just still, me. He's still gonna look for that in a kid when he's recruiting. Like he's gonna look for the ability to be coached, and that's something that Aaron Henry would took really well. That's something I think. Gabe Brown and Marcus Bingham will have to take on really well this next season because now they're the seniors. They're the most experienced players. They got to step up. You know, like Gabe Brown, Marcus Bingham, freshman year, they weren't asked to do too much. Like they just needed to put in a couple minutes here or there, maybe do some mop-up time. But other than that, you know, they were like practice players who did these funny celebrations on the bench while Winston and Xavier Tillman and, and Matt McQuaid ran the show. You know, their, their roles have gotten bigger and bigger as it goes on. And now – it's uh, the season's really going to be on Gabe Brown and Marcus Bingham to be the guys. And right. I, I think those two have as much on their shoulders as anybody. And it, it's kind of like prove it time. You know, this, this is their career. Like this season is going to be defending for them as much as anybody, but yeah, obviously there's still football season to get through before we, we get to college basketball, but with the Dickinson news coming back, I, I thought we had to, address it a little bit plus we didn't really get into basketball too much uh, this is our first time recording in like six months <laughs> i know but uh Craziness, yeah man and i back to dickinson real quick before we move on to our next topic I, I i don't think dickinson was quite nba ready because he was very reliant on going to his strong his strong arm which was his left arm he's got to get better at being able to do it with either arm got to get a better mid-range to three-point shot going because you know even though we just talked about brooke lopez falling in love with staying out in la la land not being near the basket as a big man in the nba you're still going to be asked to be a threat to make a three-pointer or make a long shot so i I think that's where you're going to need to see him improve the most is using both hands and then using a using his jump shot more often but other than that you know he's this great rebounder solid defender reliable guy and I, I think he'll he'll be the leader far and away for the team next season i agree 110 but you know only time will tell we're gonna find out man only time will tell that's right and it's an exciting it's, it's gonna be an exciting year i think i think everyone's getting back into the mode you know th- hopefully things start getting um quote-unquote normal again and i think and i think that'll help out with you know these kids psyche yeah. And, you know, the way these coaches coach and bringing fans back in because it's different. I, you know, I would assume that it's different when noise gets pumped in uh, rather oh, yeah. than noise, when noise being organic, you know. So you, you could I don't know if you watched any state home games last year, but there was just a glaring, a glaring absence of the Izona um, in this past season. You know, I think that's why. Partially, I think that's why State dropped so many home games in the middle of the year was because they didn't have that that home crowd advantage that the Izone gives them. Right. Right, and I think I think it's a big factor for anybody when they're at home. I think you know, just like Seattle has a twelfth man. Exactly. You know, I think I think it's just it's just the name of the game. You know, when you have right. your when you I, have I, your compadres there to you know pump you up, dude, is totally different. 
Right. I, I think that's partially why Michigan State went into Duke and won last season was because there's no uh, Cameron Crazies there. Like, right. Duke Duke jumped on Michigan State early. They were up by like 10 points. And if, if there's a home crowd there, that's a whole different situation. But with, with an empty gym, just the, the 10 players on the court and the camera crew and the people on the bench, like it was totally different. Michigan State was able to chip their way back into it and win pretty convincingly. Um, yeah, hopefully this year in college basketball, there will be no what ifs. Whoa, wait a minute, Joe. <laughs> That's right. I've been I've been planning that one up, Sasha. <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh recently we got the first trailer and I think we've gotten a few trailers now for a new Disney Plus original Marvel animated show, What If? Yeah, this is exciting, man. I think my 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 favorite one so far is going to be um What If Peggy Carter was the the super soldier which um i don't mind because even though i'm i captain america's okay i wasn't biggest cap fan because i think it's uh cap was created for pop you know i don't want to get too political was created for propaganda propaganda and everything for the war and everything and that and nowadays it's kind of being used on the reverse end so it's just like geez you know what i'm saying like stop using a comic book character as a political tool first yeah. of all you know what i'm saying it's for kids it's for fun you know what i'm saying but hers it, it kind of it i kind of like the twist on that you know what i'm saying the other ones that i've been seeing like uh black panther uh uh ravenger is a ravenger you know what i'm it's saying uh, that's Right, that's kind of crazy to me. Um, it could be just be a really good impression, but it sounded like Michael Rooker was back as the voice of Yondu, and yes. Chadwick Boseman, I think it was his last role, was yes. voice acting as T'Challa. Yes, and uh, that's one thing that kind of bugs me. We'll get into that towards the end of this little segment. Um, okay. but yeah, all of the uh, most everybody that's voiced, most everyone that's acted those characters out they're coming back all the way from uh uh, karen jillian uh doing nebula nice to you know hemsworth with thor middleton with loki i mean even takai waititi is coming back uh is voicing korg so (laughs) you know seth green you know he did the uh he did the um Howard the, Howard the Duck. I did, so see, he's, I did he, see a Howard the Duck shot. So he's there. he's coming back doing Howard the Duck's voice, which is awesome. T'Challa is doing Black Panther. Um, what I don't like is that T'Challa is also doing Star-Lord's voice. Huh. Interesting. Huh. Right, right. Where's Chris Pratt in that? I think it has a lot to do with right. political stuff. But, you know, it I don't want to get too much like into Robert that. Downey Jr. as Iron Man either. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. But um, okay. I, it's, it's kind of cool with him coming uh, with uh, him teaming up with Killmonger for all of all yeah, people. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that seemed like the first uh, thing that kind of sets the what if in motion. Like, what if Killmonger was on that crew? Like, totally changes the whole path of the MCU because Iron the first Iron Man movie is really what set it all off. You know, aside from like Captain Marvel, if you go like time-wise chronologically but you know right in the right. real world where we live you know the first iron man movie is kind of the, the starting point that's what kicked it all off right most definitely and to me uh the earlier marvel movies you know howard the duck takes the cake i love the movie <laughs> when i was a kid but like yeah for the mcu and like starting the whole timeline and everything with the you know with the infinity wars yeah you'd figure that starts it off and you know how does kill margaret it, it's just crazy to see these characters that really didn't cross paths in the mcu along this infinity war timeline are somehow going to cross paths and somehow are going to be more prevalent with each other than they weren't you know i think that's kind of the the whole what if thing i like it i like it you know what i'm saying so it it mixes it up a little bit because i might be in the minority here but i'm i'm pretty much done with the current timeline of the mcu like I, i i followed through up to end game and then i was kind of like i'm kind of not very invested in the future like i watched uh falcon and winter soldier i'm not really planning on going see going to see too many more mcu movies because i've kind of just like kind of seen what i want to see from that but to see it 
them take the the old characters and mix it up a little bit, kind of spice it up a little bit. That that does actually get me excited. Right. And like I watched um the WandaVision. I I enjoyed WandaVision. I enjoyed, you know, uh Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I'm really, really enjoying this Loki one. Have you watched Loki? I have not watched Loki yet. So it is I, fabulous. Tom Huddleston is <laughs> he's great. I just I just love him. I love Loki. Yeah. And I think I think Loki was cool in the comic books. And I think Tom Huddleston, am I saying his name right? Huddleston? I think it's Hiddleston. Hiddleston with I, right? Okay. Yeah. Hiddleston, he brings such a new dynamic to the character opposed to what he was in the comic book. And I think that, you know, they'll be, they'll be, it'll be a detriment not to somehow bring him back into the MCU because he's such a good character. He's a character that you should not like, that you should hate, you know what I'm saying? But you can't not love him. You know what I'm saying? Like you you ever watched that show Vikings? I know it's kind of a, never saw that one. One of, one of the main character's sons, right? You know he's a cripple, and like he kills one of his brothers, and you, you're you're meant to hate him, but you just can't. You can't hate him. You love him. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you can't get rid of him. That's the way I feel about Loki. You cannot get rid of Loki because as as much as you shouldn't like him, and as much as the the stuff that he's done in the comic books, you know he even tur- he even goes as far as turning Thor into a frog. You know what I'm saying? You still like him. He still he like constantly grows on you because, you know, I think I think there's something with, you know, you know, even though he's a a Norse god, there's something with, you know, human beings that where, you know, redemption, you know, what I'm saying where it's like you, you, you envy people who redeem themselves because we as humans, we're not perfect. You know, what I'm saying like they like they say, the old adage goes, it's it's to, to err is human. You know what I'm saying? We we are we are we are born sinners. You know what I'm saying? And and we're always gonna sin. But you know, to seek re- forgiveness, to go through the redemption process, to see people, you know, do such a big change from who they are to what they want to be to what they end up being, I think, is very alluring to the common person. You know what I'm saying? I think uh Loki invokes that so much and that's why you can't turn away from Loki. That's why he's gonna be here for a long time. I really do believe that. That makes sense. That makes sense. I follow. Uh other than that, I, I think that's what we wanted to get to on this show. But you, you said there was there was something about the voice actors that you yeah. wanted to bring up on this segment. I, I mean everybody is coming back to voice their person. It's not for Chris Pratt. And I think Chris Pratt really gets uh, a bad rap with the with with politics and with with himself into Hollywood because you know he's he's conservative he's Christian you know he wears his "Don't Tread on Me" T-shirts and I think mm-hmm. that's a, a big reason why he didn't get to come back and voice um, Star Lord and I think that's a bummer because yeah. every every actor that's ever worked with Chris Pratt has gone to bat for him and said, "Listen, dude, you know, b- besides his his faith." which a lot of people might not agree with, which I think is stupid besides, besides his political beliefs, which again, I think it's stupid. It shouldn't matter when it comes to entertainment. Yeah. He gets a bad rap, but people say, Hey, whatever you guys think of him, he's not that, you know what I'm saying? Every single actor that he's acted with has gone to bat for him. And I think, you know, we just watched that movie with him, uh, tomorrow war on prime and, you know, if you go if you go on, you know, Rotten Tomatoes or these, you know, biased critic sites, all the critics have given it like, oh, it's a dub movie, blah blah this, blah blah that. But the people who've actually watched it, the, the what, what matters is the audience, me and you, who actually watch it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. I like Chris Pratt. You know, I right. I've liked Chris Pratt since he was the dumb dude on a, a Parks and Rec. So like I. I think that it's this whole, you know, people's like religious beliefs and, you know, political I, I th- beliefs think... is getting too much, you know, just yeah. let people be people. You know what I'm saying? I think I, I hopefully, hopefully it, it comes to a head and it boils over because besides all that stuff, Chris Pratt's going to act. And what you act is you pretend to be somebody that you're not. 
that's what it boils down to, you know? And, yeah, I don't want I don't want to get like political or nothing, but there there's a lot of value in diversity of opinion. Like obviously there's value in diversity of like background and race right. and like gender and everything. But if everybody, you know, comes from a different background of race or, you know, but but they all have the same belief and they all think alike, then that's not diversity at all. Like right. so you, I, I'm not of the belief that like everybody on the set of the show I'm watching or every player on the team that I'm rooting for needs to have share my common values. Cause that's, that's just not going to happen. And I, I do think it, it does kind of, he hasn't been blacklisted yet. Like he, he's still having a very successful career. Chris Pratt is, right. um, but you do start to see a little bit of like, Oh, we don't want to take a chance on him because of this stuff. We might face backlash for it. And it is a little bit ridiculous. Like it's a little, I don't know. It's it's just very annoying. Like, no, and it is, and you're right. And like, like me, with, with with the lady from Mandalorian who who started like Facebooking some really Gina Carano, out there Gina stuff. Carano. Yeah, like I get that. Like you got to nip that in the bud because she was saying some pretty out there stuff that just was not aligning. Like, but yeah, it's not like it's not like she was right. cut from Mandalorian just for being conservative. Like she was right. Right. But then again, yeah. But then again, you know, Pedro Pascal said some crazy stuff on, uh, on Twitter. So it's like, it's like, so like, when do you draw that line? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, we're going to, we are going to get political if we keep going. But what it, what it, what it, to me, what it boils down to is that we should all care about the prospering of the human beings. And as long as our beliefs or anybody's beliefs doesn't go as far as it's like, hurting somebody physically or driving them to do something you know radical Mm -hmm. you know like that shouldn't be a you know a reason why you shouldn't be able to find work or you know and we can go on and on and all day about it but I think Chris Pratt falls in that category where he's just such a good human being that we should not judge him on his faith or political beliefs Right. You know what I'm saying? He's right. not he's not crazy radical right. He's not crazy radical left. He's somewhat center. Like I believe most people are purple in America. You know what I'm saying? Like I tend to be to more it. purple than anything. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's just like it shouldn't be like that. This stuff shouldn't come up. They shouldn't get canceled because you know he he has a certain faith or he has a certain political belief. And if it's not radical to the point where, you know, I'm saying where it's just like like wow, this guy's like really racist, or this guy's really culturalist, or this guy's right. really it's xenophobic or homophobic because he's like exactly, stuff. exactly, yeah. and he's not that. Like I don't think Chris Pratt would step over somebody that was bleeding on the street just because they were you know gay or they were straight or they were Muslim or they were Christian. I think he would help them up and look at them like this is a human being. This human being needs help, and I think Chris Pratt's one of those people that would pick him up and would do anything in his power to help that person. And I think him not being able to voice, you know, star Lord, which he's, he's given such good, you know, content to the character should be, you know, you you know, should be denied that, you know, I don't know if that's the case, but when I see that all these people came back to, you know, voice their, you know, Marvel character that they, you know, played in the real, you know, in the live action and he is not, it kind of leaves a, you know, uh, it kind of uh, it makes a, me a little, little upset for yeah. him, you know. So, but other than that, man, I can't wait for this "What If" series. To be honest with you, I think it's cool. Yeah, that's really exciting. I think that's coming out in August, so that, that'll be right in time for football season. We could definitely get into that on some future episodes. And uh, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for hopping back on the cast with me, buddy. I know it's been a while. I think no, I think this last is, episode this... we were talking about the Super Bowls. I know this is, but this is therapy to me, brother. This is, this is absolute therapy to me. So, you know, thank you for, uh, you know, pulling my big butt off the couch and say, Hey, Sash, we need to do this. Cause we haven't done it in a minute, but yeah, man. And hopefully by then we'll have some more, um, uh, maybe Obi-Wan, uh, oh, yeah. because he's been on set. On that. There's sets. There's actually starting to get the sets going. So I can't oh, wait we, for that. We've man. been talking about that since day one. I day know, one. man. I think our first, very, our very first episode, I think we talked about the possibility of a, a, a Kenobi movie or show. And now, right, fi- it might finally be happening sooner rather than later. Hopefully, right. And I think, and I hope, I hope to God that either they started off or they end it with 
the final battle between him and Maul, I think. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. And and they do bring back uh, his name is Ray Parker, right? Ray, Ray Parks. Park. Yep. Yeah. So I hope they bring him back to play that. Oh my God! You know that would be like I getting goosebumps just thinking about a live action scene of them fighting on Tatooine with uh with Luke in the background. Uh he's just you know that's just that's just screaming that's just yeah. screaming your pants star wars you know <laughs> fans like ultimate dream to see that because it was cool to see you know the animated but there's just something about live action that just you know just brings it all together for sure yeah all right brother well i got a split but it was good talking to you and we'll we'll hop back on again soon and get the update and everything that's happening absolutely this has been beer to radio i'm sasha I'm Joe. Thanks for joining a, us. Later, guys. Bye. Beards for Radio.